This is an AMI podcast. Hi there. Welcome to Connecting Disability on AMI Audio. I'm Megan Gilmore, and I am so excited to spend this time with you today. It is officially summer, and this episode is full of summer vibes. We're talking to Jess Plumala. She is a Paralympian. You may have heard of her Paralympic career, both in swimming and now in triathlon. She's also a dog trainer, and we talk about her work training scent discriminant dogs that help with search and rescues. But more than that, she's a former colleague of mine. We uh, worked at a camp together. Uh, so this is just a really fun conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Jessica, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So I was, you know, thinking about how to introduce you to our audience, and I could talk about your Paralympic career and uh, your medal and your world championship podium finishes, or I could talk about your massage therapy, or I could talk about (laughs) your dog training, so many things, but I figured we probably should let people know that we know each other in real life. That's true. Yeah, it's been a while. Um... You list all those things, and I was like, whose resume is that? Whose life is that? That's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. It made me very tired. <laughs> I take a lot of naps, you know? <laughs> but yes, yes, we know each other. So why don't you tell everybody how we met years and years ago? It was years and years ago. Um, So I think it was 2006. It was. Or was it 2005? Was it? No, it was 2006. Yep. Okay. Um, I'm really terrible with dates. So... You were, we, well, you were working, right? You were a paid employee. Yeah. Okay. So Megan was working as a camp counselor at the CNIB camp at Lake Joseph. Is that what it's still called? Yes. Except they changed it and now it's Lake Joe, J-O-E instead of Lake Joe, J-O, which is what it was in 2006. Oh, all right. Yeah. (laughs) Good to know. And I actually was taking a break from swimming because I was still swimming at that time, but I had an injury and I needed something to fill my summer with. And so I had applied to work at Lake Joe and they said, well, we don't have any paid positions left. And I was like, well, do you need a volunteer? And they were like, I guess so. I'm like, excellent. And so uh, I ended up out there volunteering for like two months, I think. And that's how we met. We were there for a while. Yeah. Yeah, you were one of the first Paralympians I met. Met a lot more since then. Um, <laughs> but I remember we were all kind of in awe of you. And uh, I always get very excited if I'm like, like there's been times where I've been like subscribed to different uh, sports podcasts when like your name comes up uh, as a podcast guest. So when you were on play- like Player's Own Voice a couple years ago, that CBC show. That I was, was like, really I fun. I know her. It was really that was fun. Good, yeah, that we'll was a link good to podcast. That. Yeah, we'll link to that in the in the show notes so people can listen to that. Yeah, it was one, like, you know, in Elf, when he's like, Santa, I know him. I was like, <laughs> Jess, I know her. So I'm very excited to have you on. I've wanted to have you on for a long time. Um, Do you know but- that you just compared me to Santa? I think Santa's way more impressive. <laughs> well, maybe, but I don't know. I mean... <laughs> Like, Santa's just done the same thing for centuries, and you're always reinventing yourself. So, you got more going for you. Um, but <laughs> consistency. But um, so, besides all those things, recently, as of like what three weeks or so ago, you were also involved in saving a woman's life. Yeah. Um, sorry, I pause there because when you say it like that, I'm like, hmm. Yeah, that's a big deal. Um, it is. Yeah. <laughs> But at the time, it doesn't really feel like it. Like, it feels important, but, like, it's more like, 
yeah, I don't know how to describe it. It's probably three weeks now, three weeks. I have a dog who I must say very clearly, she is not a guide dog. She's never been trained to be a guide dog. <laughs> she is a scent discriminant trailing dog. Um, and she was trained in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, and she is trained to find... So the whole point of the discriminant part is that if you ask her to find a specific person, that's what she's going to do. Because every person's mm. scent is like a fingerprint, essentially. And yeah, so this uh, woman had gone for a walk. She had been missing. Well, not missing. She'd gone for a walk for two hours. Her family knew she'd gone for a walk. But she lives with memory loss. And so at that point, they were concerned about her because she'd been gone for so long. Um, and we were having a heat wave at that point. Yeah, so they asked Lucy and I to come out and see if we could find her. And we did. So just back up a little bit and tell us about how you got into this whole dog scent training thing, because this is relatively newer for you, right? Yeah. So Lucy, um, we did our training together last year, kind of around this time, actually. So it's been about a year since she's been in uh, in Canada. Yeah, it was sort of a longer process. It actually started with, with my guide dog. Mm-hmm. She is a German Shepherd cross, and she is... Uh, very busy. I think we were matched because of both of us being very busy. Um, And so I needed to find things to occupy her and like kind of exercise her brain and her body. And so I looked up nose games, which was really fun. And then we sort of went down this Google rabbit hole and I found scent trailing, um, which was like, whoa, like, what is this? How do I do this? The company in Florida called Scent Evidence Canine, I reached out to them Actually, I'd reached out to a lot of people before that. Um, and then I also reached out to them and they were willing to work with me despite not being able to see. And I think actually it was partly that I couldn't see that they were excited to work with me. Yeah, so it's I, like that was 2000 or 20, I can say 2019, but I don't think so. I think it was 2020 mm-hmm. when I reached out to them. Yeah. So Lucy, though, the dog who helped find the woman. And first, actually, before we go on, like, how is how is the woman that you found? Like, is she doing okay? Uh, yeah, good question. As far as I know, she's good. Like, she wasn't injured. She wasn't sick or anything when I found her. And so when I reunited her with her family, they were really happy to see her. And as far as I know, she's doing well. Yeah. That's great. Um, (laughs) so, but Lucy, yeah, very important detail. Everybody is safe and sound and okay in Vancouver. But Lucy, as you mentioned, is not your guide dog. So then how did you end up, like, getting to work with Lucy? How did, when did she enter the picture? So when I reached out to Paul, the CEO and founder of Scent Evidence Canine, um, we talked about how I would need a dog specifically trained in scent discriminant trailing, if that's something that I wanted to do. And so he said, well, I think I have, I might have a dog for you. And at the time, Lucy was a puppy. So we just kind of stayed in touch. And he actually went under blindfold to work her. And I know that's not exactly the same, but yeah, he really like threw himself into this project and... He was supposed to bring her to me. I, again, I'm terrible with dates. Anyway, it didn't work out because everything was shut down. All the borders were shut down. Mm-hmm. And so it took us a while for her to, to be able to get here. So that's part of the reason why it took so long. Wow. And then you continued her training, like the two of you working together as, as, a, as a unit? Yeah. So what we do is, so she came to me completely trained, but like we had to get to know each other and, and kind of bond and I needed to learn what her different body language meant. And so it was really training me to be able to read her. And we train, you know, at least four hours a week together still, um, just to keep her skills sharp, just in case something happens like it did three weeks ago. So when, you know, we get called out, we're both ready. So how long has this been like a business? 
Uh, yeah, that's a good question too. <laughs> I would say I sort of opened my doors last year. So it's been about a year. It's a new concept. And so um, I think getting it out there is the challenge. And so it's, it's, we've been open for a year, but it's, it's been slow going. But I think that's normal for most first time small business people. That is, that is really normal. So what, <laughs> like I'm a like, dog what person is... and a person person. I'm not a very good business person. I'm working on that part. <laughs> oh, I know. It's, well, I'm, I, I'm a freelance journalist and we're, most of us are notoriously terrible with anything to do with business administration. At least I am. Because <laughs> you don't go into journalism to run a business, right? You're like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? I have to know about these things. This is a new thing for you. And I know that you mentioned that it was difficult getting some people to work with you when they find out that you're blind. So like, what's your end goal with the scent training? What are you ultimately hoping to work towards there? I would love to see the business grow. Um, right now, everyone who's working, including me, are volunteers. <laughs> mm. I would love to be at a capacity where um, I can hire people to help me train dogs and get them. Because what I would like to do is have these dogs placed across Canada in different communities to keep communities safe. Obviously, Lucina, Canada's huge, just in case you didn't know, you know? And... Uh, <laughs> um, Lucy and I can't be everywhere at once. And also... You know, that search took us over 40 minutes. It was a three, just over a three kilometer search. What happens if we had been called out again that night? We would have went, but you know, that's really hard work on a dog. And so mm. I would love to have a second dog um, working for me. And then I would also like to have dogs placed across Canada in different communities to be ready and to keep communities safe. So that's going to take time. Mm. And practically, how, how does the search work? Like when you and Lucy are out there searching for somebody how do you know where you've been what ground you still have to cover yeah that's another good question so I like to say that I'm an active passenger <laughs> um Lucy is very much in the driver's seat we follow her nose and and that's part of learning her body language and stuff right so like some of the things that we pay attention to is is recognizing when the dog is in scent or which means are they following their nose properly? And when the dog is out of scent, which means that maybe they're distracted or maybe they've lost the scent. Um, and, you know, we basically, if there's like, for example, where we were trying to find um, the missing woman a couple of weeks ago, it's big kind of like dirt trail and it has trails off to the side, smaller trails off to the side. And then there's also big fields and stuff. And so it's knowing, you know, is she in scent? Is she not? And then if we're not sure, maybe go into an area with her and see if she thinks she finds that person. And I think at one point she did lose the scent because she went flying down this one trail and I went with her and I was, it's a really big trust exercise. Um, mm -hmm. And even though we've worked together for a year, it's always like, as a human, you have to release control and power. And that is really challenging. And so she's like searching and I'm like, are you taking me to the bunny fields? Because, like, <laughs> yeah. there's this field where there's a bunch of bunnies, and, like, I know she likes playing in this field. And I, I just had to keep saying, like, trust your dog, trust your dog, trust your dog. And we got yeah. to the bunny field, and she did a really fast 180, and so I think she lost the scent there. And so it was just mm -hmm. a good reminder of, like, you know, your dog knows what she's doing. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. And I think even for people who can see, I, I think it would be hard, too, because, like, you're not following necessarily where the person walked so you won't mm. see like tramp down grass you won't see footprints you might but those aren't the things you're necessarily looking for like I have no idea where that where the lady walked we at one point went and checked a bathroom because Lucy stopped at the bathroom door and was like hmm so we went in and checked right so it's, it's very much just like following the dog and trusting the dog 
And you talked about a lot about trust there, and I want to kind of pivot into the part of your life that if anyone's heard of you, they likely know you from your athletic career. Um, Mm -hmm. But when you've talked about sports, you talk a lot about trusting the process. And for you, you had a successful swimming career, and then you left, and then you came back a few years ago in triathlon. <laughs> and I remember one day, I think I was like, like probably just like Googling you for fun or something. And I was like, what? Like she's doing triathlon. Like when did this happen? <laughs> so first I was just wondering if you can just tell people like, why did you end up leaving swimming? And then how did you get back into sport with triathlon? That's another really, you're asking all the like long story questions. Um, <laughs> good job. You're good at your job. So. <laughs> I think for me, swimming sort of felt like it naturally came to an end. I had gone to three Paralympic Games, and I was struggling to enjoy it. And when you're in something that's high performance, whether it's sport or even whether it's working with Lucy, there has to be some level of enjoyment. Like, yeah, there's days when you're going to grind and it's going to suck. And you're going to be like, why am I doing this? But when that question comes up, why am I doing this? You need to have an answer. And I got to the point in something where I didn't have an answer anymore. And so also I was finishing university. I graduated and I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe this is time for me to step into a career and, you know, step away from sport. And I thought, okay, I'll be, I'll become a massage therapist because then I can still support people in their athletic endeavors. And I got into massage and I stayed there for a while and I liked it, but it was didn't challenge me enough. And so I sort of had this pull towards, well, I had always wanted to get my master's degree, so that's what I ended up going and doing. But somewhere along there, um, I I'd sort of like really taken a step back from any physical activity. Like I walked a lot. I would go for like three hour walks or hiking or, but I was, I, when I stopped swimming, like I literally just stopped because I had been doing it so hard for so long that it was just like, okay, I'm just done. Which I don't know if that was the best approach because then I was sort of lost. I was like Mm, really like sort of felt very purposeless. And I went from having a very structured life, which I think I still needed a break from, but I think I'd taken too much of a break from it. But I also felt like when I was in something, I had unfinished business. I always felt like I just hadn't quite reached the level that I thought I could get to. And so triathlon had already piqued my interest at the end of swimming and so kind of around like 2000 I don't know 13 2014 I started thinking well maybe I I want to try this triathlon thing Mm. and but I just kept going back to the point that like I had to run (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's like running no I don't want to run I still don't want to run um So I was like, okay, well, if you're going to do this, you need to find out if you can actually run. And so I started (laughs) teaching myself to run, which blind person teaching themselves to run is not the greatest option. Like I had no idea what I was doing. YouTube videos, not helpful. People would be like, you go like this. And I'm like, what does like this look like? (laughs) So I bought a treadmill and I was like, all right, I'm going to learn how to run. And I was like, okay, but I need something to work towards. So I signed up for a race, but I signed up for a half marathon. <laughs> oh, like, oh, <laughs> skipped a couple wow. of steps, you know? Yeah, yeah. You, you actually <laughs> skipped a staircase and started on the second <laughs> level, but okay. So that year I taught myself how to run. I use air quotes. 
And uh, I ran two half marathons and a marathon, again, air quotes. And I was like, all right, well, at least I know how to suffer. So <laughs> let's see if I can triathlon now. And it sort of grew from there. Hmm. That's a that's a really your story. Um, <laughs> and I know that's also hilarious. But I like you, you survived it. Like you, you put yourself through this. That in and of itself was an accomplishment, let alone... Um, when you were doing, like, I know when you were doing your trial run for uh, Paralympics, you won um, trial, um, which is, yeah, incredible. <laughs> but in that tip space of time between leaving swimming and then getting into triathlon and suddenly running half marathons, like, I know you've said elsewhere that it was, like, a struggle to, like, just kind of, like, work through all the emotions uh, of swimming. And, uh, like, when you left swimming, you didn't really take anything with you because you wanted that to be over. And there was some like grief and anger there. And I remember when I left my first journalism job in 2013, so uh, like 10 years ago as we talk, I did not want to talk about it. I did not want to essentially ever write anything for publication again. That mm-hmm. was like beyond a very small, but, but it, and, it, and it was, I think it was really confusing for people because they're like, this is literally the only thing she's ever done since she was six. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't even want to like my roommates would be rewatching Gilmore Girls and I would walk in in the season where like Rory Gilmore is going through like a journalism crisis in her life and like yeah. I found it difficult to be in the room with Gilmore yeah. Girls on yeah. <laughs> so I, was like, I just yeah. can't do this yeah. and I know you and I have both so been described out. by some yeah so and like yeah and it's so confusing right because like this is the one yeah. thing like I had one thing in life and I was good at it and I don't think I am anymore and I actually don't know what's going on. I was like 24 or something. So I was like, I'm way too young for like a midlife crisis. This is a quarter life crisis. Like, what, what is this? And I know both you and I have been described by some people as stubborn, which may or may not it's be a good quality. super true. Yeah, right? It's like, it is. I just feel like people should describe it in more positive terms. So I would like, do you think this is kind of like the underbelly of stubbornness? Like when the thing you've worked so hard for isn't working, then uh... we just stubbornly go against it. I don't know. And then I start another thing? That way? Yeah, mean? maybe. Yeah. Or like, I, like you work so hard at something and then when it's no longer there, like trying to reconcile all those emotions with it. Yeah, I mean there there were a lot. Like, and I've been very open about that, right? Is that like I was very mm-hmm. angry when I left swimming. I was like there was a lot to process and um my last games did not go how I wanted them to go. And you know, I was, I was angry about that. I was, I felt let down and part of that responsibility is on me too, you know, but I really needed a lot of, like I did, I left the pool in Beijing and I left all of my gear on the deck, like all of it. Um, I probably would have left my suit there, but I think I was still wearing it. Um, yeah, like, you know, still needed yeah. clothes. Um, right. You don't want to get arrested. Um, I left everything there and I and I I was like I'm done like I'm very very done and a lot of the staff I had comments of like oh you'll be back and I was like no I won't and I knew I wouldn't be back to swimming but and and maybe it is stubbornness maybe I don't know but it was like I just felt this um desire burning fire to like just compete again and but I knew Mm -hmm. it wasn't in swimming like there was there's never have I go into to the pool today like on the weekend and there's a swim meet going on and the touch pads are in I'm like like, (laughs) 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 exactly so like um you know I I I think I made the right choice I think we're good Mm -hmm. and I also sort of 
have viewed triathlon as as like a different journey where I've tried to do it differently where um I ask for help and that's something I've had to work on and I haven't always been good at it and it's still something I'm working on but um you know like I think now my mindset is like it takes a village this is a team. We are a team. And I'm surrounded by an incredible team. Like my teammates are amazing. My coach and I work really well together. My strength and conditioning coach. I have a nutritionist. Like I have so much at my disposal. And it's my responsibility to take advantage of that and mm. also be appreciative of it, right? Like I feel very, very, very privileged to have all the support that I have. Also in paratriathlon, I race and mostly train attached to somebody else. And mm. so this is not just about me. Like we're a team and, and all of my guides I've learned something from. They've all been wonderful human beings. And the guide that I'm working with now is just like, we work so well together and we're having so much fun. Um, you know, and, and yeah, we have days that we grind, but there's days where like, we both feel so lucky to be able to do this. And so I have digressed really far away from your original question. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, But you made me think of another one because you talked about how, you know, there's always that question, like, why do you do this? And in a, like, Mm -hmm. highly competitive thing. I would say, like, even in my job, which is a different form of competition, but it it is public. Like, it's out there. Yeah. Um, You have to ask yourself, like, wait, why? Like, really? Why am I doing this? For right now, for triathlon, like, how do you answer that question? I have a couple of reasons. One of the reasons, and this one has always been a driving force for me, um, and this one comes into play when the days are really, really hard, is that I want to make this sport better for any of the athletes who might be wanting to get into it or who are in it and are trying to advance. I just think it's such a cool sport. It's hard. It is one of the hardest things Mm -hmm. I've ever done, but it's so worth it. And so I want to make that pathway easier for others or just make the environment like healthy for others to be in and the whole team that I'm a part of like that is what we strive for and that's what we work for is making this space healthy and competitive and they can exist together it's hard but it can exist together the other reason is like I don't know I just like I think it's such a cool journey and like I want other people to be a part of it And so I guess in some way, I'm hoping that, you know, the stuff that I do gets other people excited about what they can do in their life, too. And I don't know if that happens, but that's for me, that's part of my driving force. And then also the selfish part of me is I like to challenge myself and I like to push myself. And this is one way to do it because I don't even know how to describe triathlon to people unless you've done it. It is there's like five sports rolled up in one. There's swimming, biking, running, weight training, napping, eating. (laughs) Recovery is a sport. Um, yeah, yeah, it so, is. Yeah. So, yeah, I do it. I do it because I want to make it a better space for other people. I do it because I love it, and I do it because I hope that in some way it makes the world a better place. Well, that's a that's a lot of really great reasons. So we have two final questions that we ask everyone before mm-hmm. we end the conversation, and then I have a bonus question just for you. So first, <laughs> um, like you have. A t- you have done a lot in your life, and you've uh, always been something that I kind of um, always looked up to from afar. But after we met, not before, because that's creepy. But <laughs> given, <laughs> but still, like the world is the world. So, like, what are some ways that you still find it difficult to connect with other people because of the reality of being blind in a world that isn't always set up for that? Um. Well, I think that's a fair question, and I think that you know we shouldn't shy away from a discussion about that. One of my biggest struggles when I was swimming was that para swimming very much felt like 
the little brother to Olympic pathway swimming. And so that still exists. I think it's getting better. I think in paratriathlon, it's just, you know, the barrier of people not understanding that it's just as, am I allowed to swear? (laughs) It's just as badass as any other um, stream of sport, right? Like, yeah. We have people flipping out of their wheelchairs and putting themselves back in when they're racing. We have tandem bikes with two people on it falling over and, Mm -hmm. like, getting back up and finishing. We have athletes who fall off their single-person bike and break their elbow and still finish the race. And so I think the recognition of, like, we're not better than, we're just equal to. And we're not the same as Mm -hmm. either, right? So, like, um, yeah, I think that's that's still a barrier and still a challenge. It is improving, but I think... That's still a struggle. And also even like on a practical level, like I know this might sound funny, but like sometimes I go to training and I'm in environments that I don't know and maybe they're louder than usual or whatever. And like, it's hard to connect with people because like, I don't know who's around me. I realized actually the other day I went to swim practice. I have been swimming at Commonwealth Saanich Place since 2017. And I'm standing there talking to, I don't even know what his job is, but he's on the pool deck all the time. And I'm like, oh my God, I have talked to this person like literally almost every swim practice since 2017, but because it's loud in there and I don't recognize his voice and he hadn't like been Mm. like, hey, Jess, it's so-and-so. Like I was like, how do you build that connection with people? How do you build that rapport when you don't know it's the same person for the last six years? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a little embarrassing. (laughs) <laughs> no, it's not. Well, it's not you. And then, so given that, like, what, what does good connection look like for you? Because you do connect with a lot of people. So, like, what, what is a good connection for you? Yeah, that's a good question. To me, a good connection is a connection where both people are receiving benefit from what's happening. And sometimes if it's a long-term connection, there will be give and take at different times, right? Like, I will give more in a relationship than someone at certain times and vice versa. If it's a short-term connection, I really hope that both people are are receiving value and benefit from that interaction. Well, thanks for that. Um, and now to my fun question just for you. So, Uh-oh. Jess, one of my many things I learned from you in our summer working together was I remember oh, well. just, some of us got into a lengthy conversation about clothing and how to organize your clothes when you can't see and like how to know. <laughs> how do you remember these things? And all this. And then uh-huh. you started talking about how every few years you get a new wardrobe. And I was like, like you go shopping? Like you just go on a big spring. We're like, well, yeah, because every few years I change my eye color. And I was like, <laughs> what are you like? How is this possible? Because I probably haven't done that since that conversation. <laughs> Seriously, you've had the same color of eyes for the last, like, 15, 16 years? Yeah. Oh, okay, so what color are they now? Whatever they were then. Brownish? Greenish? Brownish? Gray? Brownie? Brownie? You're the only person I know. Brownie green? Okay, you're the only person I know who can literally say I've had almost every eye color in my life. And I was like, that is the greatest thing I've ever had. I have to tell you, though, my wardrobe has not... Okay, wait, no, that's not entirely true. But up until I started working at a mental health and addiction treatment center, my wardrobe was basically workout clothes because okay. I lived as a triathlete. I did go and buy, like, jeans and some nice tops and stuff. I've recently uh, made the very difficult decision to... 
um, leave that position just because we're going mm-hmm. into Paris and I really need to focus on training. And like I said, triathlon is six or seven sports rolled into one. So I'm currently back to wearing like, you know, Lululemon tights and t-shirts, but like, yeah, I, I think I was a little more wardrobe oriented back then. Now I'm just like, okay, what's practical? <laughs> I have right. 10 things That's to fair. do today. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. All right. I, I just wanted question? to check in. No, I just think it's okay. fun. It was like one of my favorite things. I was like, that's so fascinating. And then I think I met somebody who was studying to make prosthetic eyes. And I was like, okay, so I really? knew this person who like, yeah, because they were at Lake Show. Everybody comes to Lake Show. You get me, you meet like literally a very wide swath of people there. We had some people up who were studying prosthetics and I was learning about how like um, elite uh, a field it is to be the person who makes prosthetics. And then we're talking about it makes sense. Eyes. The eyes need yeah. to look as real as possible. Yeah. Or if it's like a person who has only one prosthetic eye, it needs mm-hmm. to match the other one. Yeah, yeah, totally yeah. right. So then I was like, oh, like we had a volunteer who uh, changed up her eye color every few years, get a new new wardrobe. <laughs> I thought it was like, the greatest thing. Uh, Jess, I know you have a lot to do, so I'm gonna let you go. But before you do that, um, I'm gonna try not to crack. But one of the reasons why I want to have you on is. The end of every episode, I give a shout out to somebody in my life who's helped me understand like a topic that's related to whatever we talked about. And I, um, you were often somebody I thought of shouting out to then, but it's more fun just to interview you. Um, because I remember when we met, I had just graduated from high school and going to Laurier's Brantford campus. You were at the Waterloo campus. And yeah, I was a little baby. And it was my first time meeting a whole lot of blind people at once. Yeah, I bet. And I did <laughs> And I didn't know, I didn't always like what I was learning about life with blindness. Um, So I just wanted to say thank you for always being somebody who told me that it wasn't always going to be awful and that there are really good, amazing things in the world. There Um, are. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, okay, like if, if I grow up to be like a blind woman and Jess is a blind woman, well, I can, like, she's cool. So like, it's all going to be okay. Um, (laughs) So thank you. And thank you for still being my friend after I guided you into a tree limb that one time. I'm pretty sure I it had leaves. In. Okay. It, it was, was just, I, you had a really good reaction though. <laughs> Cause you were like, Megan, like there was a tree branch. I was like, yeah, it's really high up there. And you were like, you're short. I'm tall. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> That's true. I'm glad you took that well. I, <laughs> It was very bossy. So now I know the times I have to guide people, I have to look up as well as ahead of me. It's a lot. It's a lot of pressure to be a guide. You know, I I think I've become a little gentler with guides, especially with triathlon guides, because like there's a lot going on. Like we're on the race course, and there's like other humans, and they're moving, and then there's pylons, and then there's volunteers, and like so you did great. Okay, thank you. You can thank them all that I helped I helped break you in for them. And I do, though, when I am guiding people, I do try to, like, hide my white cane because it does really throw people off. And they're like, wait, what no, is No, don't this? hide it. I think you should, like, stick it way out in front of you and wave it around. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I wish we could talk longer, and I will let you know when I'm out in Vancouver. You should. Um, yeah. Thanks yeah. for having me. I appreciate it. No. Connecting Disability is a production of AMI-audio. It's written and produced by me, Megan Gilmore, with technical production by Nizreen Abdel-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. Special thanks to our guest, Jess Twanala. 
Jess and I met at the CNIB Lake Joseph Center, as you've heard in this show. And like I said during our conversation, she was always somebody that I really looked up to um, throughout my life, but especially after that. Jess wasn't the only role model, though, that I met at Lake Joe. Um, Anybody who was around camp when I was there, um, even the years after, would have met Bill Vastus. Bill was the perfect camp counselor. He was the perfect camp volunteer. And for many of us, he was a trusted friend and somebody who always gave me perspective of what it meant to be an adult uh, with blindness. Bill passed away a number of years ago um, before the pandemic. And he is greatly missed by many, especially at this time of year. So I just wanted to take this moment to acknowledge him and the impact he had on my life. And uh, I know there's many people who are going to be thinking of him this summer. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I hope you go get to hang out at a lake soon. We'll connect next time.